him up, tell him what you want. Call him up, call him up, tell him what you want. You just call him up and tell him what you want. Hey, listen, listen, listen. This is an opportunity because we call this praise and worship, uh, but to give thanks for anything the Lord has done, not necessarily last week or this year or this month, but probably yesterday. Hmm. Is there one? We don't want to go on and you have a testimony because that's, that's the reason we come here. We, we, we say don't forsake the assembly of the saints. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the testimonies of those that the Lord has brought through. Come on, Ron. Thank you, Lord, for giving me one more chance. Huh? Amen. Amen. This is a chance that I might not see again. They told me that I wouldn't be living to see 47. I'm almost 47 right now. Hey. God has always stood by my side. Yeah. God has always been my God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When friends walk away and turn their backs on me, he stood right by my side. Yeah, yeah. Amen. 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 I love the praise. I love I love the praise. I love to praise. Right, come on. Come on. I love the praise his name. I love to praise his name. I love to praise his name. Praise him. I love to praise his name. Oh, I love to praise his holy name. I love to praise him. Come on. I love to praise his name. I love to praise him. I love to praise his name. I love to praise him. I love to praise his name. Oh, I love to praise his holy name. Well, he's my rock. He's my rock. My rock, my sword and shield. He's a wheel. He's a wheel. In the middle of a wheel. I know he'll never. I know he'll never. Never. Never let me down. He's just a Jew. Just a truth that I, that I have found. Hallelujah. 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 I love to praise his name. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I love to praise his name. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I love to praise his name. Oh, I love to praise his holy name. He's just a wheel. He's a wheel in the middle, middle of the wheel. I know he'll never, never, never let me down. He's just a jewel that I have found. Hallelujah! 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 I love to praise His name. Hallelujah. I love to praise his name. Oh, hallelujah. 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 
Hallelujah. I love to praise his name. Oh, oh, oh I love to praise. Oh, oh I love to praise. Oh, oh, I love to praise his holy name. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made, right? So we will rejoice and be glad in it. Despite our circumstances, we are going to rejoice. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. Behold, he that keepeth thee will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon the right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Amen? Amen. Amen. We ask that you please join us for our opening, our congregational hymn, hymn number 549, This Little Light of Mine. Five forty nine. James has been singing this since for eight, seven, eight years. And they change. Can you sign? Can you sign that out? <laughs> I'm 
Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. Thank you for allowing our little light to shine. This is our testimony. Everywhere we go, we're going to let our light shine. For he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we thank you this morning, God, for waking us up in our rightful minds. You did not have to do it, but you did, God. And so we thank you, God. We thank you for this waiting congregation that has come, Lord, to worship you. You know us by name and by nature. You know exactly, God, what part of this journey we find ourselves. You know the struggles. You know our ups and our downs. We pray to God that you will meet us at the point of our need. For you are gracious God who looks beyond all of our mess and you get to our needs. So meet each individual here by name and by nature. Meet their needs, oh God. For you promise to meet our needs. You promise to supply all of our needs according to your riches, wishes, and glory. And so we thank you this morning, God, for those that have come to worship you, God. We pray, Lord, that you will heal the sake, oh God. We pray, oh God, that you will be with us, oh God, from adoration to benediction. We want to lift up our pastor, God, even as he prepares to teach your word this morning. We pray, oh God, that your word will go forth with power and strength, oh God. We thank you for the male chorus, oh God, that is random in selection. We pray, oh God, for every man, oh God. We pray, God, that you will use their voices, oh God, to glorify you. Thank you for the musicians. Thank you for the deacons, oh God. Thank you, oh God. For every member of this church, we pray to God that you will meet each member at the point of their needs. God will be forever mindful to give your name praise and glory. For it is in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that we pray with thanksgiving. Let the congregation say amen. 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 You may be seated. Good morning, Zion. Before we, before we start, what you telling me? Oh, okay. Marcus, can you, can you get the door for Miss Denny, please? Thank you, sir. Thank you, bro. I didn't see that. Um. The male chorus has been road warriors this weekend. Uh, we started out with Harvest, World Harvest, uh, in Dumfries, Virginia on Friday night. Uh, yesterday we helped Alexandria Memorial Baptist Church celebrate 111 years of existence. And we come this morning to render service at our own house. Amen. But, but I tell you that we come to render service under the leadership of the youngest man in our choir. A young man who says, I'm going, who will go with me? And it just reminds me of that song, I'll go if I have to go by myself. So Walter Grasshopper Clater. <laughs> yeah, we, we, just, we just thank you for your leadership, bro. I mean, from, from the bottom, I mean, we've had a good weekend and we've not had one complaint from the men about how we've been going. Because it's the Lord that's in this thing. It ain't nothing we've done. We can't work our way up in here. So we appreciate you, dog. That's my part. Now I'm getting ready to direct this song. 
Amen. Thank you. To the best of my ability. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Come on, let's get it. Everything. Y'all ready? What a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is. That man, that man from Galilee. What a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is. Well, he died, he died to set me free, and he brought me, yes, he did. and he taught me, yes, he did. and he saved me. Yes, and he raised oh, me, yes, he what a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is. He got the sweetest yeah. name I know. Say what a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is. That man, that man from Galilee. Say what a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is. Well, he died. To set me free, and he brought me, yes, he did. and he taught me, yes, he did. and he saved me. Yes, Y'all, he raised oh, me. Yes, he what a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is. He got the sweetest name I know, and I call him, and I call him, oh, I call him y'all. Said I call him in the morning, and I call him. Said he always, he always makes oh yes, right. and he brought me, yes, he did. and he taught me, yes, he did. and he saved me, yes, he did. and he raised oh, me. Yes, he did. What a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is. He got the sweetest name, name I know, and I call him. Jesus, call him. Jesus, call him. Jesus, oh, I call him your. Oh, your Alpha, Jesus, and Omega, Jesus, the beginning, Jesus, and the end. Oh, Jesus, you're my, Jesus, my provider, Jesus, you're my Lord, Jesus, my all in all. Oh, Jesus, your name. It's so precious, your name, Lord, it gives me joy, and what a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is, say what a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is, what a mighty, what a mighty good friend he is, he got the sweetest name I know. How are you doing this morning? If we have any first-time visitors that are here at Great Little Zion, as our first-time guest, would you please stand at this time and remain standing until we give you our warm welcome of love. 
Okay. Just want to let you know that one of the greatest single causes of persons being atheists nowadays in this world is because they look at people who profess and acknowledge from the depths of their hearts that they are Christian. But their talk and their walk out the door at home, their walk in the door at work, their walk out the door of the church, deny Jesus by their lifestyle. And that is what an unbelievable world finds unbelievable. How many of you, real quick, as kids, not, not this young generation, we go way back when, remember games like Red Light, Simon Says, Cool, did you shoot marbles cool? What? You shot at them. But how many people can raise your hands and remember hide and go seek? So here's the last thing I'm going to tell you, and then you, you go and enjoy your week. If you remember how it went, at the end you said what? Ready or not? Stop playing hide and go seek with Jesus because one day, guess what? He's going to say, ready or not, come, enjoy your week. Good morning, Zion. Good morning. Immediately after the 1045 service, Care Group 1 invites you to have a fellow in the fellowship hall. We're going to celebrate Deacon Newton and his family who has provided for us years of continuous service. We want to honor them today. They want to present to them gifts. And we want you all to come and to celebrate with us. Uh, we're going to have, provide a meal, so please join us. We're going to have fried chicken, jerk chicken, macaroni and cheese, cabbage, uh, salad, dressings, and lots of other good things. So come and join us in celebrating uh, the Newtons who have done a great job uh, in this church. course promise we won't prolong the service we're going to sing one verse of each song and we get not to wait so we can get over to the vittles um zion i just came to tell you just to remind you to save the date august the 10th we're going back to aquaquan regional park for our annual family fun fair it is a time when greater little zion baptist church partners with fairfax foster care and adoption agency and so we look forward to coming out having fun fellowship and a lot of good eating. Thank you and God bless. Morning, Zion. A few announcements. Um, first announcements on behalf of the financial ministry. Okay, so tell the truth. How many of you are still saving money as part of the giving fund? Okay, all two of you, three. Okay, so I am going to send out the spreadsheet again, since it's halfway through the year, a little bit more than halfway through the year, 
you never know when you might need the funds uh, from the giving fund. Uh, we've had testimony of individuals who said that they used the funds, the money from the giving fund that they had done over two or three years as a down payment to pay for a, a wedding, um, the honeymoon for their wedding. Uh, some folks uh, entered that account in the middle of the year to repair their uh, deck. Um, other folks rename it and call it another name and then go shopping on it, but we're not calling any name over there, Miss um, <laughs> Carmen Hote. <laughs> So she just called it another name and went shopping with the account. It's the Renee Fund. I think that's the right name. So anyway, um, I want to challenge you to continue to save as part of the giving fund. Uh, today is Fourth Sunday, so I'm asking you again to uh, give to support both the Northern Virginia Human Trafficking Initiative as well as the second, uh, second story. As of today, I think you've uh, contributed believe it or not, about $3,400, and we're so grateful for that. And give yourselves a hand. We really appreciate that. Uh, the next announcement is on behalf of the women's ministry. Anjanette Browder, would you please stand one more time? If I recall, this is Anjanette's last Sunday. Is that correct? We've recognized her before as part of the women's ministry. And uh, women and men of Zion, make sure you give her a hug and, um, and just tell her how much we absolutely love her fellowshipping up with, I think, the last four years or so. I think it's about four years. Uh, we love you, and we, I will definitely personally miss you, and God bless you and Ashley. Thank you so much for that. Uh, let's see. We'll leave that. So my husband is going to join me now. Um, the Newtons, would you please come forward? Newtons, yes. Come on, give it up for the Newtons. Woo! Best deacon, this side of glory. So my husband will go first for zone one, care group one. Best zone. Deacon Newton. Yes, sir. On behalf of zone one, you have done a great job. When you have gone over, above, and beyond the call of duty as a deacon. So for group one, zone one, I want to present to you for an outstanding service to this church, this flag, and it reads, Deacon Don Newton, you are an example of God's love. Thank you, Riddle Zion Care Group One. So stay there. Okay. Oh, here's another gift from Zone One. Okay, good one. For Deacon Newton. And Deacon Newton. Is that the beach? Yes. I won't say it's the beach, but there's some good stuff in there. <laughs> okay, and that's for Zone One. Um, the next uh, will be on behalf of the financial ministry. So uh, Deacon uh, and Mrs. Don Newton, um, normally we would have um, monthly or bi-monthly seminars as part of the financial ministry, but becoming the chair of the women's ministry, I kind of underestimated <laughs> the time it takes to, to properly plan. But however, you guys will get some seminars going into the end of the year. 
But Deacon and Mrs. Uh, Deacon Newton and Mrs. Newton have been such a blessing. Uh, the financial ministry was started in 2012, and I cannot begin to tell you the things that they have done on behalf of the financial ministry, whether it is attending a benefit for uh, uh, the alternative house whether it's, and giving there, whether it is attending a breakfast for Second Story or a gala for the Northern Virginia Human Sex Trafficking Initiative and giving there. They've given as part of the giving fund of Greater Zion. They've provided food for seminars that we've had here at, at the church. They've recommended me to individuals who might need the financial help. And to just to tell you the kind of love and the care and the giving, um, we announced that we're having a get-together after service. How is it that Mrs. Newton decided to bring a butt cake to her own fellowship, okay? That's the kind of people that we have at Great Little Zion. So to the Newtons, on behalf of the financial ministry, I am so, so, so grateful for everything that you've ever done to support the ministry. And this plaque says, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and it says, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I so will miss you guys and the support that you give to the ministry. However, I'll get your address and I live, I'll come down south because I do plan to visit. So again, thank you both so much. There's some other announcements, uh, or awards, I should say. Yeah. Evangelism mission. Get out the way, gladly. You know, it's a hymn on page number 396 in the red hymn. It said, hark the voice of Jesus calling. Who will go and work today? Fills a white harvest waiting. Who will bear the sheaves away? And the third verse said, take the task he gives you gladly. Let his work your pleasure be. Answer quickly when he calleth, here am I, send me. And that's how I see Don and Jean Newton, the Newtons. And on behalf of evangelism and mission, we would like to thank them for taking the task of service gladly. And Don and Jean said, send me, send me, keep sending me. And they've gone so many times. And we just want to say thank you. I know that Jean don't want to dust another piece of furniture another glass anything so i've given them we've given them a gift that don can use and gene can enjoy Why are you looking at me like that, Dick Nair? Um, I know it's not. And from the uh, Usher's ministry, Deacon Newton and, and Mrs. Newton has always been there to support our ministry very strongly. 
Uh, every time we have a fundraiser, Deacon Don is always there to get the hose and the sprinklers ready and out there helping us bring in people to uh, help us with the fundraising. And without the two of you, a lot of times we, we would not have all that support. So we're so grateful for the two of you supporting us through all these times. We're going to miss you dearly yes. from being here. But we know where you are. Absolutely. We know where you are. So we'll be coming on through. And I'll stop in to say hello when I come through that way. Um, but please continue the, the work that you do. Because I know that you'll touch some hearts and some families wherever you are. But on behalf of the Usher's Ministry, this is just a, a little love token for you and your wife to sit back, kick your heels up, and enjoy some things. So you can go wherever you want to go, spend it wherever you want to spend it, but enjoy. So on behalf of Greater Lausanne Usher's Ministry, we love you. here on behalf of the male chorus we just want to say thank you to both of you you have supported us in immeasurable ways not only with your time but with your prayers and with your seed not only to us when we go out a number of times when we go out to other places he'll give us a seed to take to where we're going and he'll say go sow that so when we talk about legacy, to me, what you've left for me in my heart is a legacy of love. And that love not only spreads through this church, but it spreads all over the region and as far south and everywhere we go, we take that love with us and we take that message with us. So we just want to say thank you. And I just want to give my little expression of love. <laughs> This is to, um, I'm here to present um, our tokens of appreciation to both uh, Sister Newton and Deacon Newton for your services um, to the board of directors. So would all the board members please stand? Thank you. This plaque is to, um, Sister Newton, and it says, presented to Dr. Jean Flagg Newton, sincere appreciation for dedicated service as a member of Greater Little Zion Baptist Church Board of Directors. Um, and it's, it, the date on it is June 2019. We had planned to uh, give you this in June, but we kept, <laughs> for one reason or another, the date had to get uh, moved back. Um, so, again, um, we are going to miss you so much. Um, you joined the board and you came in working, which is your personality. Um, 
not only did you just you come in willing to do whatever, but when you saw where we were kind of lacking, um, you took it upon yourself to go to school and learn some, uh, get some information that could, could help us uh, better do our jobs. And we just want to say thank you again. Um, this is bittersweet for me because you've been such a great support. Um, but here is uh, your plaque. And I do have the boxes over there, but I just wanted to show it to everybody's. Um, and I'll put it back in the boxes. Thank you. And also for Deacon Newton, this um, plaque here, to me, it um, t um, typifies how, how you have always supported the uh, board of directors. Uh, you have been there to help us, give us advice, uh, push us forward sometimes to get busy doing things that you, you felt that we should be doing, but you always uh, said, let's pray about it. So this is a plaque of a praying man. And um, again, just want to say thank you for all that you have done for us over the years. And also, you were my deacon. So, <laughs> care group one. <laughs> but I, I just want to say thank you to both of you for what you've done to uh, support the, the board of directors. And also, just one other thing. This is from from Stacy with uh, C4, yeah. um, Performing Arts. She could not be here today because she's finishing up the production she was just in, but she wanted me to uh, express her appreciation to you and Sister Newton for your support that you've always uh, given to her. Um, she said that Sometimes what you did allowed her to be able to give scholarships to some uh, deserving person that was interested in um, yes. dance. Yes. And so she thanks you from the bottom of her heart. Let the girl dance. Thank. <laughs> My Lord. I want to thank uh, this church with um, all my heart. We've been talking about um, moving, but it really just struck me yesterday that this was it, that we really are driving out of town. <laughs> and so um, I was uh, a bit sad um, about that, but I want each and every one of you to know um, that we are grateful for your thoughts and your prayers and your gifts. And um, we'll always be a part of Zion. Thank you. Amen.
just a quick word. I still respect my pastor. <clears throat> Give him his 37 and a half minutes to preach to us today. I got the timing right. <laughs> Lord, it's been, it's been good. Uh, I looked at my uh, ordination as a deacon. This morning, Winley, you still got yours over there? You know, pull it out. Uh, we made Deacon here together. Thank you, Pastor, for everything, for letting us serve. Amen. Serve the Lord. Uh, it's, it's been great. And, and, you know, I always go L-O-V-E, wrapped. You know what I mean? And we got to have it now. Uh, we, we, we're challenged to the max. And the only way we're going to win is loving each other. So with that, I'll see you at prayer time. Amen? God bless you. of giving deacons. Newton. The song simply says, I'll go if I have to go by myself. I'll go. If I have to go by myself, said I'll go. If I have to go by myself, Lord, if my mother, if my father, if my sister, or my brother, I'll go. If I have to go. By myself, by myself, said I'll sing if I have to sing by myself. Said I'll sing if I have to sing by myself. Lord, if my mother, if my father, if my sister. Oh my brothers, I'll sing if I have to sing by my I got one more thing I'll do. Said I'll pray if I have to pray 
For you, Lord, I don't mind singing for you. If you want me to pray for you, Lord, I don't mind praising your name. You told me no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You can just send me. Send me. Send me I'll go if I have to go by myself. given us and blessed us with this offering Lord Jesus we actually Lord God this blessing that you have given us that as we decrease you increase Lord God enlarge our territory Lord God that we can do all things but fail that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in thee as long as we continue to give it all to you all that we have all that you have given to us Lord God we just thank you for the betterment of this kingdom, Lord God, we lift up Zion, all and everything that has to do with our financial situation, everything that has to do with this building, Lord God. We just thank you, Lord God, that we're able to keep it going on, Lord God, because of thee. Lord God, ask you to bless this offering, those that had the heart to give and those that did give, Lord God. We just give it all back to you for you to increase it and to multiply it for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. and I forgot to give away money before you gave us money. Um, this is on behalf of uh, the missionary project that we have going on that Dr. Wrighton told you about last week. I'm challenging the children to go out and shop, so I'm asking parents permission to give your child $5. I have it right here. So if you have a child, I'm giving $5 to go out and shop for the 
uh, articles that we need is a sheet here. If you spend more than $5, I'll reimburse you. If you, uh, if you spend less than $5, please bring my change back. <laughs> the other thing, if you would like for us to shop for you, we're willing to go out and shop for you. All you have to do is uh, make your check payable to Greater Luzine Baptist Church Missionary Ministry, and we will shop till we drop for you and you don't have to do it. Uh, I've already done the check. Uh, the, the best price you can get is at the commissary. Uh, the highest price you can get is at the dollar store. So if you want us to shop, and I have a cart that I can get in the commissary, I will, uh, Albert have to drive me around. We will shop for you, okay? So make sure your child see me before they leave and get their $5 so that they can shop, okay? If you have any questions, it's here. Thank you, I'm sorry, I got caught up. Good morning, church. Good morning. morning. All righty. So for the youth ministry, we have two events happening in August. Um, we have our actual summer trip that is happening. We're going to the water mine. It's going to be on August the 17th. Um, you can sign up in a sign-up sheet in the vestibule. It's free, so you can just come and meet us there and have a good time. We're going to cook out, play some music, and we have like the entire half of the water park to ourselves. Um, so just come out and enjoy us on that day. And then also, August the 11th, um, we're having a back to school drive for our kids here at Greater Little Zion Baptist Church. Um, we're gonna pray over their supplies. We're gonna provide them with a lot of guidance, some words of wisdom, and make sure that they go off into the school year. The school year starts a lot earlier this year. It starts like August, so, um, so make sure you guys, um, there's a box in the vestibule. If you want to donate any supplies, you're more than welcome to put them out there as well. Um, and our actual fellowship is going to be giving them supplies, free pizza, all things of that nature. It's going to be August the 11th, directly after the 11 a.m. service in the Old Sanctuary. All right. All right. <laughs> We're now transitioning into our prayer time. We want you to take a minute, uh, look at the, at the back of the pew, fill uh, your prayer request, and place it in the basket. One of our ushers will come around and collect it from you. Prayer is the key to heaven, and faith unlocks the door. In times like these, we need prayer. So we encourage you to fill up your cards. Uh, every Wednesday at 6.30, the deacons are here who prayed over your request, and we've been seeing results. So we encourage you to make your prayer request known unto God. So just take a minute, fill it up, and one of our ushers will come around, pick it up from you. Amen?
giving honor to uh, God, head of my house, God's house. God built the family first and the church followed that. And so I'm very thankful about those two entities today, my family and God's church. Amen? And Pastor, I'm going to break protocol for praying. Uh, we know we're supposed to go right in and do the prayer, but I just got a couple of special thank yous, if you don't mind, um, that I can do that. The first one, just a little thank you uh, to you, Pastor Murphy. A little card from us. For the pastor, he knows some of the things I think about and, and how I think about it. But then I went to the book, and I want you to read 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 at your own time. That's, that's his charge as our pastor and as our leader. Quickly, it says, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. I give you this charge, Pastor. Preach the word. Stand with me and say, Murphy, for the last 20 years, have preached the word to the Newton family. Will you stand with me and just, just, just say it? That is called encouragement. There might be some other things missing in this church, but I have to say, Pastor, no, 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 no. The word is not secondary yeah, yeah. at your house nor this house. So I thank you for that. And I, that's not easy. But it's the truth. At least I got the word every time. Every task he had, drill down, get out of my way. I'm going deeper. Amen. I, I like that about you. And the rest of it you can read at your own time. But that's a powerful charge. That's a job description. How many of you out there got a job description? Check, check the pastor job description. Uh, uh, it's got all, all of the ingredients there. It's not a part-time job. Amen? So I thank you for that, Pastor. And you know, we're losing pastors. And, and, and uh, let me tell you why. Because of lack of encouragement. Lack of encouragement. So we need to work on that a little bit. And I just want to say thank you again. Now, I realize that he have headwinds and tailwinds and, and sometimes winds that really pick him up. And the winds that really pick him up is Sister Barbara Murphy. And I got a little something, something for her too. Sister Murphy preaching her eyes without speaking. <laughs> my Lord, my Lord, that's right. The last one before we go into prayer is uh, Senior Deacon. Uh, please come forward, please. Yeah, you know who he is. Yeah, he know who he is. He looking around like anybody. Oh, somebody took my job? No, we didn't take your job. Yeah, that's right. Here is my brother, Deacon Bazemore. Uh, his characteristics is a little bit different, so I had to dig deep, say goodbye to him. I respect him and his family as my senior leader, as my senior deacon. And I charge him with putting the unity 
that is required in this church. We don't have it, but I still charge you. Um, if you don't communicate, you don't get the unity. We're not communicating. So I know he'll work it. I mean, and I know that he will. But I noticed a little bit of blood kind of running out of his pants legs. So I wanted to fix that for him today so he'll last. So I went to the store and I got some knee pads. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Deacon, many meetings, I lose my quarter in about the first 20 seconds, all of them. Uh, but Deacon Baysmore would always bring us back to the cross. And I thank you for that. And we need people like that. Now, let's get on down. I bought her some knee pads too. My Lord. Of fashion. If you've been to their house and ate at their table, God's all in the house, all on the doorknobs. They have touched so many through their ministry, never turning loose. Budget, what's that? That don't hold them back from serving the God that we're going to pray about right now. Thank you. And I thank you. And I thank you. My Lord. That's all for right now. I'll see you on the other side. There could be some more goodies in the bag because all of y'all are outstanding, okay? But recognize your leadership. And remember what I said is that we need the unity in this church. We don't have it. And until you communicate the unity don't come, things will become hard for a few. But if you can get that unity going, my Lord, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, Jesus requires that. You got to have that unity. All right. In order. Uh, there's a little bit more for you. All right. Let's go to the Father. And forgive me for not going right into prayer. Let's pray. Holy, holy God. If I had 10,000 tongues, we could not praise you enough. You can take the position wherever you want, wherever you like. You can come to the altar if you want. It's fine with me. But I just want to praise this God. I thank you for blessing my family. The Lord blessing me, blessing greater little Zion family. Lord, we thank you today. And Lord, we're going to keep Jesus in the center of our lives. Lord, we're not going to move away from that. And Lord, we want to pray like they did in Revelations 4, 9, and 11. This is how it reads. It says, our Lord and God, you are worthy. Is he worthy? Yes, he is. All right. To review glory and honor and power. 
Because you have created all things. And because of your will, your will, they exist and were created. And my Lord, if we don't praise him, I got some rocks in the car. Come on up, Zion. We have to do it. So, Lord, we do this, Lord, to glorify and praise you. And, Lord, I know it's time now to double down. Lord, this is an ugly world out there. We need more praise. We need more worship there, God. We need to read Revelations 4, 9, and 11 often to remind us and to keep us focused on who you are. Who is he? I'm calling the world. Who is he? I'll tell you who he is. Just let me give you a couple, Lord. Number one, he's the one that fed the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves and with a snack left over. That's the one I'm talking about. And I ask the question again, who is he? He's the one. He's the one that departed the Red Sea, made it an expressway. Lord, one side we were in slavery. When we cross over, we are free. We are free when we crossed over the Red Sea. I ask you today, Zion, to be free. We are on this side of the Red Sea. Lord, if, if it's your will, Lord, we're going to continue what Bailey started 127 years ago. Praising you, dear God. We're not going to give up because there is a little bump in the road. Lord, we're going to press that one down and press on toward the kingdom. And Lord, as I take my seat, I want to pray for the sick and shut-in. Ask that we as Zion visit them more. Lord, before I leave town, the last thing I want to do is go and see somebody that needs prayer. So Lord, as I take my seat, please sustain our Pastor Murphy. Bring the Holy Spirit on him, Lord, and let him bring the word one more time this day. And God, if it's your will, bless Gene and I to make 151 Enclave Boulevard, Savannah, Georgia, 31419. Not a house, but a home for God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Zion. All right, man.
why don't you hear my humble cry? Why on earth is Join, 
some praise for the male chorus again. <laughs> He's so sick. <laughs> oh God, somebody bring me a whole bottle of oil for this fella. We are most grateful, of course, for the male course. Thank you again for giving us words of inspiration by music. I want to say in the uh, departure of Deacon and Mrs. Newton, they both sort of remind me of Paul's um, meeting of Priscilla and Aquila as both of them were eventually missionaries with Paul in the evangelistic thrust of discovering churches, building churches, and ministering to people. But they also remind me of the Apostle Paul himself as he is leaving Ephesus for the last time. And as he gives his farewell sermon, 
he says these words, which reminds me so much of both uh, he and Mrs. Newton. Uh, he says, I have coveted no one silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And in everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that to me describes the work of Don Newton and Jean Newton for the ministry of Greater Zion. So I want to certainly thank you, Deacon Newton, for all of your years of laboring with this congregation and particularly laboring with me. I certainly appreciate your wisdom and discernment. Thank you for calling me and sending me text messages that uh, remind me of critical things that I need to remember. Um, every Paul, every Peter, every John, every apostolic figure, every pastor, every leader needs a leader beside him or her to feel assured that that person has their back regardless. And uh, I can say emphatically um, that I've never heard a single word or a single hint or a single whisper about anything that Don Newton has ever said critical about me. All I've ever heard is his desire to help Murphy lead this church and his expressive uh, posture of loving greater little Zion and people. And that has been greatly rewarding to me. He doesn't know the extent and never really will know, um, but that has freed my mind on many occasions and in many experiences dealing with people that he has taken the reins and stepped in and filled the gap. And I appreciate his service and he has served our deacon's ministry very well, extensively. Uh, as I said yesterday at the church meeting, his wife uh, has certainly mesmerized us with PowerPoint slides. Um, but she's also, I think I told her in our meeting Monday night, uh, she would have been a great preacher, at least an exegete, because she's involved in the details of trying to expose various details and if you look at all her charts, uh, it kind of makes you dizzy. Watch all the lines that she has and all the colors and all that kind of thing. But that also demonstrates the, the passion that someone has to help us make sure that in terms of being judiciary responsible, that's her intention. And so we appreciate her serving in our trustee ministry. And again, I told him, if you're going to Savannah, if you run into Paula Dean, just let me know. Um, but uh, wherever they go, 
wherever they decide to settle in Savannah in terms of church ministry, that ministry has gained a jewel that uh, we have had the privilege of recognizing. So, Deacon Newton, I, uh, I mean, I certainly hate to see you go, but I understand why you're going. <laughs> um, but wherever you go, my brother, do what you do, and that is to love the people. And you've always done that, and I don't see anything different happening through your life and ministry as well. Amen. Uh, when I started this series in the first Sunday in July, I mentioned that people could feel free to send me questions, and I actually got a couple questions, and I think I probably need to answer them here because they're pretty informative, they can be informative uh, responses that I think you probably need to hear. One question a member asked me was, why would I change uh, the style of preaching from the pulpit to the floor combined with why also uh, as a result of this morning, you had to be here at eight o'clock to hear what I preached about at eight o'clock, but they wanted to know why would you address the subject of economic empowerment identifying particularities in reference to racism um, during the worship service on Sunday morning. Well, one, I changed the style um, because I just like it better on the floor. Uh, it lets me walk around. I don't particularly like to hold a microphone because I'm a demonstrative kind of person. So this means I gotta keep switching hands, which now consciously I have to remember I do have a microphone in my hand. Um, the people in the sound people remind me, you gotta remember to keep it up here because it's being recorded and when you drop it down here, then we can't hear it. So that's something that I certainly don't like, uh, but that can be rectified if I go to a lapel mic or something like that. But I like it better here, I, I really do. Uh, it just feels much more comfortable. Second reason is because I changed the content. Uh, many years ago, I was introduced to uh, black theology. I was given a book by James Cone, the late James Cone, entitled Black Theology, Black Power. And I learned from that that I could never again, from that book, preach the gospel from a Eurocentric culture. I could never preach the gospel from a Eurocentric culture again. Now you might ask, how does that happen? Well, I will guarantee you, I will stake any amount of money. All of you who know Bible, you may have learned it from your grandmother, your grandfather, your brother, your sister, whomever, your mother, father, but you learned it from a Eurocentric perspective. You learned it from white lenses. That's how you interpret the Bible. Yeah, you don't have to say, man, I already know it. So, I mean, I've spent 20 years in academia, I know how we've learned the Bible. When I read James Cone, James Cone at least taught me a couple of things. One, there is an intentionality for you never to learn the Bible from your own cultural perspective. Because if you do that, you see religion, Christianity, different than the way you see it now. There are those who have historically has had that challenge and changed their perspective. I'll give you one person, the late Howard Thurman. 
Howard Thurman was questioned when he went to India, actually was questioned by Mahatma Gandhi, who asked him the question, why would you serve a Jesus whom the very Christianity that you serve, you support, is a very Christianity that enslaved your ancestors? Why would you support that? Why do you live under that? Howard Thurman never answered the question. He came back and wrestled with how he saw Jesus. And he wrote his classic book, Jesus and the Disinherited. And by doing so, he realized, I need to see the Bible from the lens to which I live. And I don't live as a white person. I don't live as a Jewish person. I don't live as a Hispanic. I don't live as a Korean. I'm an African-American who has to understand the Bible from an African-American context. Now, I'm not the only one, and black folk aren't the only one, who finally realize that we have all been taught the Bible from a very cultural bias perspective. So Miguel de la Torre, a Hispanic theologian, is a leading voice in helping Hispanic brothers and sisters recognize that you have to understand the Bible from a Hispanic perspective. Andrew Sung Park is a Korean theologian, and Andrew Sung Park is helping his Korean brothers and sisters recognize you gotta read the Bible from a Korean his, uh, perspective. All of them have understood, along with James Cone, along with Victor Anderson, along with Dwight Hopkins, all of these minds recognize we have to decolonize the Bible. Now decolonize means I have to take off my colonized lenses to which I've been taught to read scripture and recognize that the scripture is not from the top down, but it's from the bottom up. So I decided that if I'm gonna preach on Sunday to a group of people who I would contend probably know very little historically about our journey in America. That's not a criticism of you. That's a suggestion that I now have the calling to educate you on historically why we are the way we are. Here's a statement. We are still suffering. Every African-American historian knows this. We are still suffering from the residue left from slavery. All right, man. Come on, son. Come on, son. So before the late Frances Crest passed away, who was a brilliant, genius woman, she reminded us along with Malcolm X, we've been systematically mindset by way of brainwash to disregard the contribution of Malcolm X to black people's lives and advocate the strength of Martin Luther King because Martin Luther King was heavily supported by white liberals who gave him the money to do what he did and as a result he had to say what they wanted him to say. Didn't want Malcolm X because Malcolm X was not only radical but he cut no corners and he didn't have to think about how he was gonna choose his words. He spoke what he believed. You are rarely ever taught about the contribution of Denmar Vizzi or Nat Turner or Gabriel Prozer or Ida B. Wells. We aren't taught those contributions because they're too radical. They're not conformist. So Malcolm X was defined as a nationalist 
And Martin Luther King was defined as an integrationist. White liberals loved Martin King because Martin King was a, a soother. When he spoke, white folk knew he would never say anything to threaten us. When Malcolm spoke, you not only didn't know what was going to come out of his mouth, but Malcolm also would let you know, I ain't scared. If I got to die fighting you, I'll die fighting you. See? So they misappropriate what we say. I, I can't tell you how many times I've read how people have misunderstood the phrase by any means necessary. That's a clear biblical statement if you want to understand what it means to fight. So I changed my rhetoric, I changed my content of my sermons to understand that I must be a preacher who preaches black liberation. Come on. So I'm a black liberation preacher. I believe in advocating the strength of African-American people. I believe in educating African-American people. I believe in pointing out African-American people who want to act like they don't know that racism still is alive and well, but want to act ignorant. I believe in also confronting those of us who just happen to have good middle-class government jobs. Do you not know you got there because someone stood on the front line and took the fire that you and I didn't have to take. So I believe in advocating our history because we don't know our history. That's the reason why we're the only folk in this country who aren't taught our history. Every other ethnicity takes the time to teach their children where they came from, except us, because we've been brainwashed. We got the wrong mindset. And if they tell you anything in a history book about slavery, it's only to a certain extent. They don't want you to know the detailed stories. The other thing is they don't like liberating black preachers is because they know that in this hour, at least one hour every week, black preachers got the attention of black people. If they take the time to educate them, they could end up being very radical people. So I'll give you a little piece of tidbit. You needed both Martin King and Malcolm X. Because let me tell you what happened. Martin was the prophet in the South. Malcolm was the prophet of the North. When Martin fought for the civil rights in the South, he never knew what was going on in the North until he came to the North. And when he came to the North, he was mesmerized to find out racism is just as worse here than it is in the South. But he couldn't preach here. That's why when he came to the North to preach, nobody heard him. You'd also be surprised to know many people in the North didn't even know who Martin Luther King was in the South. Only people who lived in the South knew who he was because he was a prominent figure. Everybody in the North knew who Malcolm was because Malcolm was the prophetic voice of the North. So they pitched, they pitched both against each other. Do you not know that Martin Luther King and Malcolm X never met but one time in their history? And they met that one time on the Hill in the 1964 uh, uh, Voting Rights Act when they were up on the Hill debating that act. That's the only time they met, and for a brief second. Here's another tidbit. Only, only, the day Malcolm X died, 1965, I think it was February 21st, two days later he was supposed to meet Martin King. And it didn't happen. Didn't happen, I'm convinced, 
because whether you know this or not, uh, Martin, Malcolm, was killed because Malcolm took the idea and the fight of Human Rights International. So when Malcolm left the, the Nation of Islam and started to form his own ministry, Organization of African American Unity, OAAU, he went international because here's what I think was initiated his death. He wanted to go to African nations and to other brown countries and have them bring the United States up on human rights violations. As a result of that, it would put America out in the forefront as a violator of its own proclamation. That's why I don't say this. You can call me unpatriotic, anything you want. I do not say one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That is a... I want to use a cuss word, but I can't cuss. When Malcolm did that, when Malcolm did that, that brought his death from his own people. Here's a man who died fighting for his own people and his own people killed him. Martin would have been fine because he had the rhetoric that soothed white liberals until he shifted when he came north and he realized although Malcolm is radical, Malcolm is telling the truth that white liberals will pretend that they with you, smile in your face, all the time they trying to take your place, backstabbers, he found that out when he shifted his rhetoric and started being critical of America being in Vietnam. Killing brown children who done nothing to you. And when Malcolm spoke up and took that thing international, and when Martin spoke up and took that thing international, April 4th, 1968 was his demise. Both prophetic voices was attempted to be silent by death because they took America's shame international. So I made a decision. If I'm going to preach, I might as well preach the whole gospel. So you will never hear me just Jesus happen you anymore. That's not my preaching. I've got to tell you the whole story. And the whole story means if I can't take the Bible and make it applicable and relevant in our contemporary context, then I'm a false prophet. I'm not preaching the whole truth. And I'd rather die knowing that I attempted to warn your black mind that you need to blacken your mind more and consider how important it is that you take care of each other. I'd rather you run me out of here doing that than me not saying nothing and be able to stay here not knowing I'm not preaching the full gospel of Christ. So that's why I changed my posture. My posture is not there. I'm all right there, but I like it here. As the prophet Ezekiel says, I need to sit where the people sit. So I'm standing where the people stand and sit. I changed the rhetoric because not only historically was I enlightened, but when I started reading Jeremiah, Amos, Micah, and Isaiah, I come to realize these prophets had to tell Israel face to face, you need to know not only where you came from, 
but currently what you're doing because of your economic progress. And what they were doing was oppressing themselves because they had made a few advances in life. And a part of, I think, what's called systemic systems. It's called systemic because you can't really pinpoint who's actually running the show. But it's been birthed in the process of the existence of the system so long that all you have to have is a manager to keep the system perpetuating itself so you can never identify who it is, but the system keeps replicating itself. And by it keeps replicating itself, it means that systemic racism stays alive in America because we can't pinpoint who actually is running it. All we know, it's alive and well. And unless we point that out and be honest with ourselves, like the individual 45 who occupies Pennsylvania Avenue who makes such racist, discriminatory statements, and yet we go down and sit there at the table with him smiling so we can take a picture? Sitting with Nebuchadnezzar, eating at his table, hoping that he'll give us a dollar here and there, while at the same time, when you turn your back, he will cut you to the core. So as your pastor and as a prophet of the word of God, I have a responsibility to tell you that truth. Now, I try not to say much about political things because I know y'all freak out once again if I say something political because you try to act like you don't know. Well, what it really is, you don't want your feelings to be cramped. You want to feel comfortable. You can't feel comfortable when you're fighting injustice. There's no way you can feel comfortable. If you do, that means that you've got an illusion and you have been suffering from delusion that you are actually free because you're free and someone else is not free, you're not free at all. So it's my calling to make sure that when I preach this gospel, I tell you the whole story. So that's why when I took this text of Mark 5, I'm not preaching it from a traditional perspective. Traditional perspective is we just look at the man got delivered from a demon. That's it. It's a spiritual thing. It's more than a spiritual thing. You got to look deeper, and that's the idea. When you don't look deeper, you settle for what's on the surface. The other thing is I'm hoping to get into the minds of the because millennials don't understand not only the extent but the influence of racism because they grew up in an integrated society. What appears to be integrated. So I'm trying to grasp them and we don't like for them to know the past history of what we've suffered as a people in America, not only from racism, but self-inflicted wounds. So what freaked Martin Luther King out was when he came north, particularly to Chicago, and he saw that when the riots took place, he could not believe that we would actually burn our own communities. He couldn't figure out why would we do that. It's because systemic racism has conditioned our mind that the person who created our condition is not somebody else, it's us. It's a Willie Lynch mentality. 
And one of, Willie, one of Willie Lynch's principles was, what you do, because slaveholders wanted to figure out, how can I keep my slaves committed to me and submitted to the point where they'll never try to run away? One thing you do is you pitch the old against the young. You pinch the dark skin against the light skin. You help them recognize that their problem ain't the master, it's within their own community. That's why there's the field slave and the house slave. You remember the rhetoric of Malcolm used to always call Martin a house slave. You remember that? And Malcolm called, uh, Malcolm called himself a field slave. I'm a field slave because I'm among the people. I know what's really happening. Martin is a house nigger. That's what he called him. That's another thing. It's amazing to me how we walk around here talking about nigger this and nigger that. Yet when somebody mentioned nigger in the right context, we freeze up. He said that in church. I sure did. We sit on each other. Nigga, what you talking about? What is that? What does that say? Nigga, you done lost your mind. What is that? You're right about Then we try to argue that you can't preach racial issues from the Bible. Listen, Malcolm, I mean, yeah, Malcolm hated this word, Negro, because he said it was a word imposed upon us by white folk. But I'm going to tell you, Negro, please. The Bible is racist in itself. It talks first about the Jew, then the Gentile. Now, I could do like the late William R. Jones says, is God a white racist? Because if he wasn't, why did he pick a people? That's too deep for y'all, but I'm just throwing it out there so you can recognize. The Bible is all about race. What do you think Hebrews are? What do you think Babylonians are? It's all about race. Where do you think the Hamanic curse came from? The misconception of how we misuse scripture. White folk took what they thought was a curse on Ham, which actually was a curse on Canaan, but it ended at the death of Ham and Canaan. So how could it be perpetuated through every single descendant of that? But it was a way to use and control. That's the reason why Mahatmas Gandhi said to, to uh, Howard Thurman, how could you serve Christianity? when it's used to suppress and oppress you. People use it like that, that's why. I told them this morning a little something and they freaked out. They, they, I think they did, they may have caught it. But I found this out a little later on. Uh, when the 1954 Brown versus Board of Education decision came down, you know, first of all, that America did not enforce the federal law change until 10 years later. Because there were folk who, decide, who determined, particularly in the South, that we ain't integrating, we're gonna remain segregated, okay? Also, what you probably don't know is, I would challenge you, check any white evangelical Christian church that has a Christian school, and I bet you that school started probably sometime after 1954. Why? Because white evangelical Christians were some of the major supporters of segregation. And they were determined that they were not going to allow integration to take place within the church setting. So they built their own schools so that whenever we began to enforce the Brown versus Board of Education decision, their children would not have to sit beside black children in a schoolhouse. So I told them this morning, 
in the text, in Mark chapter 5, what really, what's interesting is the man who's delivered from this demonic aspect, everybody in town ain't really broken up, nor are they excited at the fact that the man got delivered. They mad because another dimension of the text we don't ever look at, two things. Number one, the occupational aspect of the man's life is going to change because his mind is now free to actually pursue a career and whatever. And his economic situation is going to change because he's now free to pursue to make economics. And the people were mad, not because the man got free in terms of his bondage, but because it cost them their 2,000 pigs. Read the text. Mark chapter 5, verse 11 through 17. They were all right until somebody came and told them, don't shout too quick because all your pigs, they gone. Then they came and told Jesus, bruh, you got to get up out of town. You got to go. Why? Because they were more mad about their economic change than they were about the spiritual change of the man's life. Mm -hmm. So I've always had an issue. Uh, I've been called everything from, what, is it, what did they call me one time? Uh, what was I, hate? I can't remember the language now. I think I, I'm a hate, I'm a Christian hate monger. I don't know how you can put that in the same sentence, but that's what I was, a Christian hate monger. Uh, oh, to a revised black nationalist. Um, and that's because I, I don't purposely interact with many Caucasian churches and pastors. It's because I don't like for you to be phony with me. That's just me. Um, you know, you, you know that your church angles stand up for justice and your church is silent. I, I challenge you, every major decision in history in terms of change, I challenge you to do this. Go back and see at every change in our history where there was a white church that stood to voice in favor of justice. You're not going to find it. I'm looking for somebody to stand up. Uh, voices when Trayvon Martin was murdered, did, didn't find one. When Eric Garner was murdered, didn't find one. Mm -hmm. Where y'all at? Because the power brokers and the power players is in your sanctuary. They're members of your church, the board of directors, they're members of your church, not mine. The policemen who are members of the Klan as well as your church, not mine who are members of white supremacist groups, not mine. And where is your voice to denounce police brutality? I, I don't hear it. I don't hear it at all. So I don't have fellowship with those kind of persons. If, if, if you're going to tell me you love Jesus, let's go all the way. Let's go all the way. Let's preach both sides of the gospel. But the reason why they don't is because it's going to affect their economics. So that's, I'm, I'm just here to highlight the point this morning, then I'm done. Money is powerful. One reason why the man's mind is taken over by demonic presence is because when it controls your mind, then it controls economically what your future is. Amen, Pastor. So uh, a further challenge is that whenever that happens, then folk do not want to rock the boat. 
Don't create tension among us or around us that will cause me to have to choose between what's right and what's wrong. There's a book out called How to Kill a City. Yes, sir. Give that young man that mic right there, please. Give him that microphone right there. Turn that microphone on him, uh, young, young, young brother. So with the white churches and how they don't support us and stuff, wouldn't it be better for us to be in those churches so that they, we can show them the error of their ways and bring them like, to our side or help them get to our side? Instead Would it be better for us to be in them? Not like, not like in them all the time, but just like every once in a while go there and help them, like, bring them like, show them what they're, how they're wrong, and then maybe that would help them help support, help support us understand us and help us towards. Restate your question again. Uh, Slowly. <laughs> so, um, you said that the white churches, you don't like, I guess, partner with them because of how some of them are, have like racist people in them and they don't support us on certain things. Would it be better for us to be in those churches as well as our own church so that we can help them Un, un, to understand what we go through and maybe that would help some of them, the right ones, help us in our um, like fight for justice and stuff? I would say no. Okay. That's my question. And I would say no because, first of all, uh, it's an issue of what's right or what's wrong. What's morally right or what's morally wrong. Um, one of the influential persons in the life of Martin King uh, was a man named Reinhold Niebuhr. Niebuhr was a, um, what we call in the Christian profession, an ethicist. And he was an ethicist, which meant that he went around, part of his ministry was to analyze the social inequities around. Amazingly, Niebuhr recognized how America uh, did not provide the necessary resources to build communities. Uh, how America did not provide the necessary ethical um, constraints to correct the unethical practices we were involved with. But Niebuhr never said a single word about America's plight in terms of racism, which was typical and is typical of white theologians and white ethicists because they don't want to rock the boat. Here's something I found out when I was in seminary. I thought it was very interesting. So let me show you how this works in a very concealed and unidentifiable fashion. So when I started seminary uh, uh, back in the 80s, the highest degree you could attain was what was called a doctorate in theology. Okay, that was the highest. What happened was, as African-American students start to excel and started to pursue doctorates in theology, they changed the rules in the middle of the game. And the rule change came was, first of all, you could only get a doctorate of theology in a seminary. So that meant, fine, that meant that you only had to meet the prerequisites of the seminary, and the seminary was in control of how the degree um, you know, was, was worked on, how you did it and, and what it would take, courses, et cetera, et cetera. Great, fine. But as African Americans pursued doctoral degrees, the rules change. We got rid of the doctorate in theology and we replaced it with a PhD. Now that sounds good on the surface, 
But the problem is, when you did that, we changed also the rules of the game. So no longer, previously, by entry, you only had to fulfill the requirements of the seminary. When you change the PhD, you change accreditation. Accreditation is a controlling factor in higher education. I don't care anybody tell you. They're the ones who run the show. Here's what happened. So when they change the PhD, now you have to first pass not only the institution, because universities don't offer doctorates in theology, but they'll offer you a PhD in theology. Here's what happened. Now you've got to not only fill their prerequisites, but you've got to pass the graduate record examination. Now, if you've never taken a GRE, it's a little more complicated than the MAT, which is the Miller's, Miller's analogy test. And if you have never been exposed to geometry, to trigonometry, to calculus, you've never been exposed to quantitative and qualitative studies, you're going to have a hard time passing the GRE. What did that mean? That meant that less African Americans who were applying for the PhD didn't get in because they couldn't pass the GRE. Change the rules in the middle of the game. Oh, now we threw in another mix. On top of that, when you were in seminary, you only had to learn Hebrew, Greek, and some Aramaic. Now you've got to learn for a PhD candidate French, German, Italian by some, and Greek, and Hebrew, depending on what your concentration is. See, so it doesn't catch because you're not in the higher education, but someone like me was looking at it, I was like, hold on, y'all changed the rules of the game on me. Right in the middle. Now, I guess what they never anticipated was we got a lot of African-American women who've been exposed to that level of learning who are now flying high in a, in a uh, acquiring PhDs. And now the rules of the game is changing again because futuristically we know by the time we get to 2030, most men who will probably hit retirement, white males now who are professors in universities and seminaries particularly, that's going to shift out, and here's their fear, black women are going to become the professors who are going to be teaching our future religious students. Doesn't say anything to you, but it will eventually, if not you, your children, because now a different perspective of the gospel is being proclaimed. If that's not enough, I talked about this morning why this issue in this man's life is so important because it introduces to us the importance of recognizing what happens when regions to which we live are uh, suffering from gentrification. Um, there's a book out called How to Kill a City. How to Kill a City. And the author takes us through four to five different stages as we go through to recognize how gentrification works. But gentrification is all about economics. That's the bottom line, economics. Yes, it's gonna bring probably better living conditions, uh, more prosperous businesses, but it's an intent to draw in those, of course, who have the money, and millennials are a part of that group, they hope, will come in and be a part of that context, but it drives out those who are already there because you can't afford to stay there. 
New Orleans was one, I mentioned this New Orleans this morning, how they did the Ninth Ward and how they did sections of New Orleans, how they expanded uh, the French Quarter and how they went in and bought those houses for a dollar, five dollars, and rebuilt down their houses probably worth four or five hundred thousand dollars. You don't have to go to New Orleans, just go across the 14th Street Bridge and go to the right. I'll tell you something else y'all probably don't know. Unless you live in this area, you wouldn't know it. Go to Arlington, Virginia. Arlington is being regentrified. There's a little spot down there off of Glebe Road, right at 95, we used to call Green Valley. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, what once was Green Valley when I was growing up as a teenager no longer exists. So what do they do? They drive, they wait for it to become dilapidated. Investors recognize it's an opportunity. Remember, they're in business to make money. They're gonna come in and work with the county uh, in terms of how zoning regulations will fit their expectations because why? The county needs tax money, so they create tax incentives. I'm talking eight, nine, 10, 15 million dollars over the next five, six, seven, eight years discounts that these businesses get and they build they build condominiums that are worth four five six seven eight nine a million dollars that once was sitting on a pair of property where normal average people live I say normal average I should say working class people lived not anymore my hometown city of Alexandria regentrified Why am I mentioning that? It's economic empowerment. So we misled you in the church by thinking all you need to do is get you a good job, say you love Jesus, and God will take care of everything else for you. That ain't in the text. That ain't in the text. Psalm 35 says that God rejoices over the prosperity of his servants. We've been told a lie by church that we shouldn't be pursuing business ventures while I will tell you churches who finally got their head on right recognize you can no longer lead a church basically off of tithes and offerings alone you need multiple revenue streams and with the shift of technology and people no longer coming to church on a regular basis all over the country we're starting to we're starting to discover we need more than just tithes and offerings we need some businesses because it not only gives us economic empowerment, but it creates employment. You can't do anything without a job. And you can't do anything without money. And whoever tells you you don't need no money, they lying to you. And if we thought Jesus really supplied all of our needs, stop working. Don't go to work tomorrow. Call your boss and say, I'm resigning. And I'm resigning because I believe that God's going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And I don't need to work. Call your mortgage company, tell them I'm not paying mortgage anymore. I just believe if it's going to happen, the Lord's going to give it to me. All I'm going to tell you is don't call me because you ain't come live in my house. I ain't helping you. <laughs> but that's what we do in church. We have an absurd hermeneutic. We interpret things crazy. We've been taught to do that. Why the people who taught us to do that is excelling. I'm not going to mention the name, but one of my educational institutions that I'm a graduate of, proud on one hand, a shame on the other, 
had a significant holding of about $40 million in the apartheid South Africa when it was in its high day. And it's a Christian university. But it's revenue. It's revenue. So I mentioned this morning, should we take on the mindset as most, as I shouldn't say most, many millionaires that you step on wherever you have to step on to get up to where you need to be because you're trying to get to a perspective? No. I don't think you can do it as a Christian. I think you have to have, again, some ethical restraints of not misusing and not exploiting and abusing people. If the gospel is true, God blesses those who give, it's more blessed to give than is to receive, then in my acquisition of, I will in return give back, God will multiply, I don't have to step on anybody. So my point to Brother Marcus' question was, no, I don't think we should, should go over there uh, because you can come over here just as much. It's just that if you do, you need to be open to what I'm going to say. The other thing is, if they do come over here, we change. Yeah, we do. You forgot. I look like you. I know you. <laughs> we change. We act different. We totally change. We go over there, we act different. Because you're in a different setting. I don't want to go there, Marcus, because I like my setting. My setting has a distinct expression of fellowship and worship that I can't get nowhere else. And I likes my people. I want my people to shout and to celebrate, to run around. I likes my people. I served in a white church. I preached in a white church. Never again. B-O-R-I-N-G. Boring. And they so bored now that they're trying to steal from us what we do in worship. And to really stretch out, they'll get an African American to be their minister of music. I told the group one time, listen, I don't care how many black folk y'all get to lead y'all in music, it ain't gonna be the same. Cause you ain't never walked through what we've had to walk through. When you got to walk through it, it make you sing differently. You can try all you want, bro. You can't hoop like black folk. White preacher trying to hoop. You can't, man, you can't. First of all, your people don't even know what hooping is. How you going to hoop? They don't know about celebrating at the end of a sermon. They don't even know historically in terms of African perspective. Where does that come from? Why do you hoop? And the other thing is you ain't got the voice. You got to train your voice to hoop. You, you know you can't hoop. The best you can do is simply sit there and articulate by being an orator and talk. I got off the key there, but you know, I just get a little sideways. So economically, this is an important text for us. It's important for us to understand how important money is. It's powerful. You need it. You need it. Uh, I gotta let you go. There's a program um, that I support tremendously. And we, you know, as Zion Deacon Newton just was his task, he introduced me to it. 
And uh, I saw the value of it. It's an opportunity for us to help many students who otherwise probably will not get a four-year college education. It's called the Europe program. It works. It's a good program. In fact, we ought to make it a ministry for us to contribute to it on a yearly basis. You ought to do that. Now, I'm going to tell you why. The evidence is clear. But also, it gives us a chance to stretch out in the community and make an impartation in people's lives, young people's lives, so they can understand the value. Church ain't just getting together on Sunday and getting religiously excited. It's about using our economics to help them make a life from Monday to Friday and how to live from Monday to Sunday. It's important. It's important. One reason why the NAACP is struggling to get membership attendance is because they've lost focus of what the intention and the mission is. You gotta be on the front line of a fight. That's the reason why Black Lives Matter is more powerful than the NAACP. Because economically, it takes, do you not know it takes money to fight injustice? Somebody got to pay the lawyers, somebody got to pay the researchers, somebody got to pay the analysts, somebody got to pay the lobbyists. It's got to happen. And that's the one reason why they work to keep you economically strapped. Because if you don't have economics, you ain't got no power. And you can't acquire power. I got much more to say, but I'm done. Mark 5, the man's life affected the owner of the pigs. And they were more mad at the fact that they no longer had their pigs, their economic advantage, and were not rejoicing that the man now has a new opportunity to change his entire economic perspective. You and I are in a predicament and a space now where we can change our situation. Make a decision that you will eliminate destructive thinking in your mind. Make a decision that you will emancipate yourself to constructive thinking. And make a decision that you, in return, will elevate your mind to think by way of prosperity and not by poverty. Because you were not meant to be impoverished. <laughs> know what your history says. You come from a long line of kings and queens. You come from a long line of scientists, engineers. You come from a long line of physicians and religious persons and philosophers. You come from a history of nothing but divine intelligence. And it's wrong for us to cheat ourselves out of that which God has in store for us. But it won't happen for you unless you're willing to pursue and change your mind. Lord, give us wisdom, understanding of your word that gives us enlightenment into what you would have us to do. I pray in the name of Jesus that we become a thinking people
who think victoriously, who think prosperously, are people who think economically because we know if we grow economically, we're able to stretch out and we're able to make life more abundant and more plenteous, more securing, more enhancing for those outside of ourselves. Opportunities are all before us, Lord. Help us to bind together as a community of people to see the need to pool our resource, co-op, that we might be able to gather the strength we need to make a lasting legacy. Jesus is the center of all that we say and do. We thank him for being not only the author and finisher of our faith, but being the example by taking the little that he had, two fish, five loaves, and multiplying it economically 5,000 plus. Do that for us, God. We'll ever be careful to give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here's my question for you. If you know without a shadow of a doubt that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and Jesus is your Lord, give God the highest praise you have to give him this morning. Now here's my request. Somebody who doesn't know that, I just need you to slip your hand up because that tells me that you need to be secure that your life can be eternally set with God. I want you to know that can happen today. We can fix that uncertainty in your mind right now through the gospel. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm not sure where I'm going to spend eternity. Not sure where I am now in terms of my belief of God. Let that be known right now. We can help you correct that at this very moment. But if you're determined you're going to make from this day forward a new mindset for yourself and you're going to pursue that which you may not even know what lies before you but in the words of 50 cent you're going to die but you're going to die trying in Jesus name amen come on give the Lord a girl place of hate in this place